reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who is being talked to in this passage? If you're being addressed in this passage, would you raise your hand? He's talking to everyone who's been born again. So if you've been born again, raise your hand. All right. So those of you who have raised your hands, who are born again, I want you to listen to this, this passage because he is addressing you. I'm going to start over. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, or because of all this, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, we just thank you for your wonderful word, your amazing, powerful word that changes lives. Lord, we just submit ourselves to your word. Holy Spirit, we ask, that you, to, we ask you to do what you will. Our desire, our passion is to be more like Jesus. Lord, we submit ourselves and we give you permission to deal with our hearts. We open ourselves for conviction and encouragement and challenge by you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in our midst. And we're so grateful that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is one of my first passages because it, it goes against a lot of tradition. A lot of us believe in full-time ministry, but a lot of us believe and we put limits on what full-time ministry looks like. Everybody would agree that I'm called the full-time ministry because I'm a pastor of a church. But what you need to realize is that you're also called the full-time ministry and you're actually in full-time ministry whether you're active or not. Because, see, we're all called to full-time ministry, but it will look different through each and every one of us. My assignment is to be senior pastor of a church. Your assignment may be working at Walmart, working at Oklahoma State University, being a coach, being a teacher, being a full-time mom or dad or a businessman or assembly line worker. That is your assignment, but your calling is full-time ministry. Does anybody else agree with me on that? And see, I know we've heard, many of us have heard this before, and we would agree with it, and we would nod our heads. But have you accepted that calling, and are you actively walking in it? Or are you waiting for something to happen? Newsflash, something happened. The moment you were born again, that something happened. And from that point forward... You've been called into full-time ministry to make an impact on this world for the kingdom of heaven. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. And I'm going to look at what the ministry of reconciliation looks like on a practical level. Let's look at what this ministry of reconciliation looks like. 
It says, one day he, talking about Jesus, was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him, Jesus, to perform healing. And some men, in another account of the story in Mark, it says four men. So four men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him, in front of Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. See, in their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up his stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. In this story, I see the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see it? Do you see those who were acting as ministers of reconciliation in this story? Yes or no? In this story, I also see four groups of people, or four categories of people. The first one is the crowd. They were the groupies, if you will. They loved to follow Jesus and listen to his teaching and preaching. They're excited about him and his ministry, especially the healing and the miracles. They weren't necessarily bad people, but neither were they helpful to the paralyzed man and his need. But they were actually a hindrance because the four guys could not get the man to Jesus because of the crowd that was in the way. And did you also notice that they were not even willing to move out of the way to allow the man to get to Jesus? So you have the crowd, the people who are excited about Jesus. They're the ones that go to church all the time. They're the ones that say amen to the sermons. They may even raise their hands in worship. But their relationship with God doesn't really do anything to benefit other people. And even in this story, these people who were probably very intently listening to, to Jesus... They were so focused on their own selves, they weren't even willing to move out of the way for a moment to allow this guy who had an obvious need to get through to Jesus. And so the, the four men had to be creative and come up with another solution to get help to this man. The next group of people you have are the religious leaders. They seem to be there merely to catch people breaking the rules so they could judge them and point out what they were doing. They even told Jesus that he couldn't forgive people and that he was not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. They were not there to help people. If you asked them if they loved God, of course they loved God. But you surely couldn't tell by their actions or by their attitudes. You notice also the religious people were always there where Jesus was preaching or teaching. But it's like they had different motives, like they were there to catch him. They were there to catch him messing up. And when did they speak up? Whenever, they did, whenever Jesus did something that was against their rules or against their tradition, for example, when Jesus would heal somebody on the Sabbath, 
Jesus got in big trouble. That was a big no-no. And then Jesus had the audacity to tell this man that he was forgiven of sin. And see, remember, the religious leaders did not recognize Jesus as God, and they said only God can forgive sins. And so you have the religious people who are in the crowd hanging out with Jesus, but their relationship with God, their love for God, quote-unquote, doesn't seem to do most people any good. Would you agree with that? And then you have the paralyzed man. Now, we don't know how he got that way or how long he was in that condition, but it was obvious that he was incapable of getting to Jesus on his own. He was helpless and was at the mercy of anyone who would or could help him. What was his emotional condition? Was he discouraged or depressed? Had he given up and come to the conclusion that there was no hope for his situation? Had he resigned himself to the fact that he was always going to be in that condition? Maybe he was becoming suicidal. We know that he not only had a serious physical condition, but also a serious spiritual and emotional one, because that was the first thing that Jesus addressed. So even though it was obvious to us that the man has had a physical problem, but Jesus went to the heart of the matter. Jesus is concerned about the whole man. Amen? And then we have the fourth category of people, which is the four men. The guys that saw a need and actually did something about it. They didn't just go and hang out and listen to Jesus preach and watch the show. That would have been the easy thing to do, and that's what most people were doing. But they had compassion for their friend. They were willing to take a huge risk by breaking social and legal protocol to get their friend to the help that he needed. They had compassion and faith, compassion for their friend, and faith that Jesus could do something about his situation. Now, we have to understand that there was not a long track record of Jesus' ministry at that point, but they were willing to take a risk. Their actions definitely represented those of a minister of reconciliation. Now, as I was reading this and pondering this, we have the ability and the opportunity to look and see what Jesus did, and we get to know him because we see the full span of his ministry. Now, in both Gospels, in Mark and Luke, this is at the, towards the very beginning of the Gospels, of those Gospels. So it wasn't like Jesus had this whole history of all the things that he did so these men could say, okay, he's done a lot of wonderful things. Yes, we can trust Jesus that he's going to do something. Now, they had seen enough to know that Jesus could do something. They saw probably the power of God being evident through him. But they weren't sure if he was going to do something. No telling what they had learned from all the religious guys that were around there. And yet these guys were willing not only to carry this man, and they couldn't get through, to, they couldn't get through the crowd to get him to Jesus. So they, which is crazy, went up on the roof and broke through the roof and lowered this guy down in front of Jesus. They broke the law. Don't you realize that's called vandalism? And I challenge you to try that now and see if something doesn't happen. <laughs> but they broke the law. They broke probably social protocol. They weren't supposed to do that. And at that point, they weren't even sure if Jesus would do something. They knew he could, but were they sure that he would? So they were willing to take a risk. And they were willing to pay the consequences because I'm sure somebody held them accountable to that hole in the wall or hole in the roof. 
Unless it happened to be Zacchaeus' house. He got saved anyway. He said, it's all good. But we don't, I don't know if that's his house or not. So we see these four categories of people. And it's obvious that one of them represents the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation being helping someone get to Jesus to meet the need that they have. Helping someone getting, getting to God so that their need, their spiritual and physical need can be met. And it takes someone, we've been given that ministry, so that means we are called to help people get from point A to point Jesus. That is our calling. That is your calling. If you are born again, that is your calling. Again, it's going to look different, but it's going to have the same result. People being brought to Jesus through you. Now, a question I have, we saw these four different categories. Which category are you currently in? Are you part of the crowd? That's the groupies, the ones that love to go to church, hear good preaching and teaching, and even agree with the word, but they are totally all about themselves. They may consider themselves as having a relationship with Jesus, but that relationship is not doing anyone any good. Their lives are all about them, what they can get out of it. They're not even willing to move out of the way so people can get to Jesus. So their self-centered lifestyles actually become a hindrance to others coming to Jesus. People who go to church, they're good people, but that relationship with Jesus isn't helping anybody get to Jesus. And there are too many people in the church that fall into that category. We agree, we listen, we give mental assent, but is our lifestyle impacted? Are we allowing our lifestyles to be impacted by the message that we hear week in and week out? And if our lifestyle is being impacted, here's here's how we can tell if it's being impacted. Are we participating in the ministry of reconciliation? Are we doing what we can to help people in some way get to him? And again, remember, it's not going to all look the same. Everyone doesn't have to be up here preaching to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone doesn't have to be out doing treasure hunting to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Although I wouldn't mind if y'all did. Everyone doesn't have to be a street evangelist or what we traditionally think it looks like to be a minister of reconciliation. You being a, a businessman are a minister. And when you have an opportunity with your business associates or your, your fellow employees or whatever, you are in the right environment that he has assigned you to, and he wants you to bring his kingdom into that environment. And what he wants you to do is ask him, Lord, what do, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do through me today? Now, of course, that doesn't mean slacking off on your job and using ministry as an excuse not to get your work done. Because that is an honor God, right? But whatever assignment he has given us, our task is to ask him, Lord, how do you want to show up through me today? So that's the first category, the crowd. The second category are the religious leaders who like to sit around and watch for people to mess up so they can judge them and point them out and point out their errors. And again, do you notice that the religious people like to show up where there's church going on? You notice that? The religious people, I would say that 
David's wife, Micah, was a religious person. Because you look at what Jesus, excuse me, not Jesus, David, when he was dancing, when he, they were celebrating the presence of God being brought back into their midst. And David was acting all foolish, dancing and, and stripped down to look like a common man. And he was just getting down and enjoying Jesus. He was so grateful for God and his presence. And what was she doing? She's criticizing. She's condemning her husband. And a lot of times, you know, when people dance and celebrate like we do on, on Sunday mornings, some of us do it because we're so grateful for where, where God has brought us from where we were. In other words, like me, for example, I wouldn't be considered by the world standards a sinner. But by the kingdom of heaven standards, I was definitely a sinner. I was a good kid, good boy, didn't cause my parents a lot of grief. Notice I said a lot of grief. I did cause them some. But when I heard the gospel and I gave my heart to Jesus, he so radically transformed me on the inside. My life was changed. And even though I didn't do the quote-unquote social ills, drugs and gangs and violence and all that kind of stuff, I recognized that I was, I was in need of a Savior. And he so radically changed me on the inside. I'm so grateful. I am so grateful that I have hope. That no matter how bad circumstances get, I have hope that if the circumstances physically last the rest of my life on this planet, I know I'm going to be with him someday. And I'm grateful that I have a calling, that he loves me. And so the reason why I love to dance and celebrate is because I'm grateful. And so some people can, can have the attitude, I can't believe they're doing that. Look how she's dancing. Look how he's jumping around. That looks kind of silly. Instead of focusing on him. And that's what the, relig the religious crowd does. They focus on the people to see when they can catch them in messing up. Instead of trying to encourage them in the ministry of reconciliation to move towards our Heavenly Father. Third category, do you see yourself as the paralyzed man? Are you currently going through some really tough life situa situations and maybe you're stuck? You can't seem to get out of it by yourself. You may feel paralyzed emotionally because of the death of a loved one, a serious illness, a divorce, loss of a job, or any other hard and serious situation. My encouragement to you is not to give up. Not to give up. And there's no condemnation for you for being in that category. Jesus isn't saying, what are you doing in that category? Get yourself out of there. That's not what he's saying at all. And that's not what I'm saying either. I'm just saying if you find yourself in that circumstance, in that position, in that posture, there is hope. There is hope for you. talking to someone very recently my wife and she's concerned about her husband who she thinks might be suicidal and I was thinking you know people get in situations and discouraged and distraught and we have the ability to do something about that because of what he's done amen 
And the fourth, the fourth category, are you one of the four guys that carried the paralyzed man? Are you one who has answered the call of a, few, a full-time minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of the king, someone who lays down his or her life for his friends and other people, someone who's willing to get their hands dirty for the sake of reaching out to a fellow brother, sister, or fellow human being? Sometimes ministry is not pleasant. Sometimes it's very timely, very costly, very dirty, and very inconvenient. And that's probably the one we struggle with the most. You know, those guys who dug that hole in the ceiling were willing to get their hands dirty. I don't even know if they had the tools to do it. I don't, we don't, obviously don't know what they did. But I'm sure it was very messy. And they might have been concerned about the consequences that they were going to have to face. Sometimes when you go ahead in to help somebody, there may be some consequences that you may have to face. Consequences being, what are people going to think about you being associated with that kind of a person? And sometimes our reputations are bigger and more important than the people that we're trying to reach. And as a result, we're not willing to go there. So what does the ministry of reconciliation look like on a practical level? There's many ways. A few, it looks like someone driving the church bus so people could come to church who otherwise wouldn't be able to. Bringing people from point A to Jesus. Sometimes it's as simple as driving a bus. Sometimes it looks like giving someone a ride to a doctor's appointment or taking them to run errands or get groceries. Helping someone who doesn't have the ability because of maybe their physical condition or whatever the circumstances are, they're not able to get to do those things that you could help them do. And it makes the difference in their lives, a tremendous difference. The ministry of reconciliation looks like training as a Stephen minister and meeting with a person in need of care on a weekly basis. It looks like writing or calling someone and sharing a word of encouragement with a friend. Saying, Lord, who do you want to encourage through me today? It looks like being willing to reach out and share a word of encouragement to a total stranger in Walmart. You know, I'm, because I work full-time here at the church, and I've been in here for many years working in the church, so it's easy to lose contact with, with just everyday people. And so I've learned to be intentional about staying in touch with everyday people. And the more I interact with people, I see how much hopelessness is out there in the world. See how much darkness there is. Now, I don't see it as much as you guys do who are out there every day. But it's dark. It's hopeless in a lot of circumstances. People are in hopeless or they feel hopeless. And sometimes the best things you can do for a person is give them a word of encouragement. Is dispense hope into their situation. And it can be a small word of encouragement. The other day I was in Walmart and I was actually getting something. And I was walking up to the front. I was, I was moving towards the front, and as I, I passed this lady and two of her children, I assumed they were her kids. One looked like about seven, one about 13. And as I walked past them, I felt like the Lord, well, I know he told me. He says, I want you to encourage them. And I was like, I ain't got time for this. You know, that's the thoughts that went through my mind. And I got all the way to the front, 
I was like, okay. And so I turned around and went back. See, when the Lord tells me to do stuff, I don't always necessarily instantly do it. I still have to deal with the flesh man and the soul and ain't got time for this attitude and all that kind of stuff. And that's not the problem. It's the, the, the struggle and, and that kind of stuff, that's not the problem. It's what you do with that struggle. Do you give in to it? Do you quit say, no, I'll do it another time? Or do you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Yes, I will, will do this. And so I turned around and went back. Because the word he put in my heart, it was so simple. It's like, Lord, is this really you? Because it's so simple, so generic. It could, you know, I could think, well, I just thought this up. But what he told me to do is two things. And I went to the lady. I said, Lord, if they're still there, I'll take the opportunity. And sure enough, they were still in the same spot. So I went around the corner and I said, excuse me, ma'am, I have something to say to you three. And she said, okay. And they had all their attention. And I said, first of all, Jesus wants you to know that you're awesome. That's all I said. And then I said, ma'am, the Lord wants me to tell you that you are an amazing mom. And you're doing a great job. And the lady said, wow, I really needed to hear that. Now here's the amazing thing that came out of that situation. And it surprised me. As soon as I said that, probably within five seconds, the little boy looked up at me with his his brown puppy dog eyes and said, I'm a bad boy. (laughs) So no telling what kind of interaction was going on before I got there. But it was amazing that this, this kid would confess to this total stranger. And I said, I didn't even know how to answer that. Really. I said, but Jesus thinks you're awesome. And as I left that situation, the lady was very grateful. I left that situation. You know, you could think, because I've done that before. Matter of fact, that seems to be my ministry is going encouraging moms with kids. You're a great mom. You're doing a great job. I've done that three times. It's like, how do I know she's a great mom? What if she's horrible? What if she's an abusive mom? What if she's a neglectful mom? I have no idea about her situation. But here's what I do know and I believe. If the Lord gives you a word to speak to somebody, their current circumstances may not line up with that word. But as soon as that word's delivered, the grace of God comes with that word and gives that person the ability to move out of the current circumstances into what God is calling them into. So if she's not a great mom, then all of a sudden she can receive the word and the deliverance and the grace to become a great mom all of a sudden. Are you hearing me? So the little words that we can say are of encouragement and we have no idea. Apparently the lady was going through something, the kid was being bad and all that kind of stuff. And no telling how that little word altered the circumstances. Maybe the mom was a good mom and she was doing a good job, but she needed to be affirmed in front of her kids. Don't have any idea. And it's not for us to know. But what it is for us to do is when the Lord says, son, daughter, would you deliver this, this bucket of hope to this lady or this man who needs it right now? And see, we can all do that regardless of our current physical condition We can call somebody, or we can text somebody, or we can write a letter to somebody. 
Holy Spirit, what do you want to do through me today? And we can do that. Amen? Because we have Holy Spirit. He is in us. You know, I used to say this. The Holy Spirit kind of got on me the other day because I, always, I, I would always say, I'm not prophetic. I'm not prophetic. I'm not prophetic. And what, that was, what I was doing is I was excusing myself from prophetic ministry or God using me in a prophetic way because I'm not prophetic. Because I have lots of friends. I'm married to a woman. I have kids who are prophetic. And I don't see myself like that, so I'd say, I'm not prophetic. Then one day the Holy Spirit said, I am. And he said, and I live inside of you. So that just destroyed that whole, this boom, blew it up. The ministry of reconciliation may look like making yourself available for Jesus to love people through you by going on something as silly as a treasure hunt. Now, those of you who know me knew I had to bring treasure hunting in somewhere, right? One of my favorite treasure hunt stories happened through a family. I wasn't even involved. I was, I was, we were all going out in different teams. And the Hudson team, I asked James if I could share this story. And he said, sure, he gave me permission to share this. Because usually I don't, well, anyway. They went out. This was their first, I believe it was their first time going treasure hunting. But a couple of years ago, we, we had like 26 people, kind of gave instructions, broke them up in teams and said, all right, go get them. James and Bettina and James's dad, who I believe was around 80 at the time, so that eliminates excuses of age, right? They went on a treasure hunt, and during their time, they were at Walmart. Their clue, I can't remember all their clues. I know they had Walmart parking lot, and they had red plaid shirt. As they're driving through the, walk, through the parking lot, they see a man walking with a red plaid shirt on. And they said, there he is, get him. So they're trying to get over to him before he gets to his vehicle, but they were too slow, and he got in the vehicle, and the guy took off. Now, what did they do? They broke all protocol, and they began to follow the man <laughs> in their vehicle, in hot pursuit. Now, the religious instruction that I would have given, given is said, no, 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 no. We do not chase people in cars as we're treasure hunting. That's not how we do this. But they did anyway. And actually, poor James was like, we can't do this. And, and Bettina and his dad saying, follow him, follow him. <laughs> so he reluctantly follows him. Turns out, you know, they're going down the streets and everything. And James is like, we're not supposed to be doing this. We're not supposed to be doing this. Whenever the guy turns and James says, okay, I'm going to turn one more time. And then if he keeps going, I'm done. Well, he turned into the Oklahoma State um, Federal Credit Union. And then the guy's pulling up to the ATM machine. But there's a car happens to be in front of him. And James says, okay, if we get to the ATM, it's too late. We can't approach this guy. Right? Right? Talking about a treasure hunt. <laughs> anyway, so there's a car in front of him. He's behind this car waiting his turn. And James says, if we don't engage him now, it's going to be too late. Clay... 80-year-old Clay gets, says, I will, gets out of the car, goes up to the man's car, knocks on his window. They don't even follow, they don't even do the treasure hunt right. <laughs> he knocks on the window and says, hey, can we pray for you? That's not how you're supposed to approach people doing a treasure hunt. <laughs> the guy startled by this man, the stranger knocking on his window. He says, hey, can we pray for you? And he says, Yes. He says, I'll meet you after I get my money out of the ATM machine. 
So this man gets the money out of his ATM machine and drives over and meets with three total strangers after getting money out of the ATM machine. Treasure hunt, treasure hunt. Anyway, they get into a deep conversation, and the man so happened to be thinking, here's where details get fuzzy, and I forgot to ask James to clarify these details, but from what I remember, the man was happened to be thinking about, I need God, or he was going through some crisis where he knew he needed God, and, and so he was very God conscious at the time when someone knocked on his window and said, can we pray for you? said, yes. So he goes over, meets with these total strangers, with a money, a pocket full of money that he just got out of the ATM, and they have this conversation, and they end up leading the man to the Lord. Now, when I heard that story... I about came undone because I was already having emotional challenges that day because a dear friend of ours, Sam Gunner, that was the day he passed away, that evening when Sam Gunner passed away. So I was already very emotionally unstable. But when I heard that story, I just broke down because of the goodness of God. I thought, man, God just breaks all kinds of protocol, doesn't even do it right. And a man was rescued. Amen? A man was rescued because these people, an 80-year-old man and his son and daughter-in-law were willing to do something as silly as a treasure hunt that they had never done before. They heard the stories and they said, hey, we want to give this a try. And they're willing to do that, step out, and as a result, a man's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So here's my question for you. Regardless of what category you might see yourself in, which category do you desire to be in? And I want to say this too. If you see yourself in the category of the paralyzed man, do you realize that you can be in that category and the category of the four men simultaneously? You don't have to wait until your circumstances get fixed or whatever for you to be used by God to minister hope and encouragement to people. As a matter of fact, if you're in the depths of your discouragement or whatever, some of the richest encouragement can come out of that to minister to somebody. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? Let's stand together. Now, most, if not all of us, have heard that story, that scripture before about how we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. But my encouragement and challenge to you is, what are you going to do with that passage today? Are you going to accept the calling and say, Lord, yes, I accept my calling. I recognize that I am a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Full-time. Full-time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing. 
Holy Spirit, I, I just pray and ask that you would help everyone to see their value in your kingdom. Every person here, that they would recognize and see their value. That it's not just certain ministers or ministries or, that look like a pastor or a missionary or a youth pastor or a worship leader or whatever. Father, you've called all of us to be powerful, to be effective, and to make an impact in the lives of the people around us. And I thank you, Father, that this church family, that we are getting it, we're understanding it in a greater way, and we are choosing to run with that truth. We are allowing you to heal us, to deal with us, to minister to us, to help us, even to move out of the paralyzed situation and to move in a place of active serving you. Lord, you're so good. You're so worth it. We love you and we honor you. And Holy Spirit, today we give you permission just to deal with our hearts and put your finger on the things that might be hindering us. Whether it's a mindset, whether it's sin that we haven't allowed you to deal with or whatever it is, we give you permission to put your finger on it and help us and lead us in the direction that we should go. We give you honor and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.